Hey, everyone. Welcome to church. Let's stand together tonight and worship together. Call these lungs to sing and 
infiltrated our lives, God, and we celebrate that. We rejoice in that truth, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would continue to open our eyes. It's so easy to focus on the darkness around us, God, but you've called us to see you, the light of the world, and your light also lives within us, God. So I just pray, Lord, that we would just let that light shine, Father God, in this dark world. Jesus, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our community. We pray for all of those, God, that have not yet seen the light. God, that they would come to know you, Lord, and that you would use us as your vessels to reach out to them, Jesus. God, we thank you for 
bringing us here tonight, knowing that this group of people you have brought here for a purpose, Lord. So we come with an open heart. God, just wanting to hear from you and receive from you, Jesus. Pray you be with Pastor Kelly as he delivers the message, God. God, let us just truly receive it and respond in obedience. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good evening, everyone. Hope you guys have had a fantastic Christmas so far. Uh, did you guys have a great day? Did you get everything you asked for? Um, just a couple of quick announcements for you guys. Uh, we're going to be taking our tithes and offerings during this next song. This is just, again, another way that we worship God here at Salem Fields Community Church. Uh, and that's just through our giving and our generosity. And so there are many ways that you can do that. There's going to be some buckets that come by. You can give a cashier check. Uh, within those, uh, you can go out to one of the giving kiosks and give through your debit card or your credit card out there. Uh, you can click that little green button in the top right-hand corner if you are joining us online. Or as always, you can give uh, safely and securely through the Salem Fields Community Church app. And so go ahead and download that app as well if you have not already. It's everything Salem Fields Community Church in the palm of your hand. It is great. So check that out. Also, if you want to go ahead and check into Facebook, uh, we would love for you guys to do that. Or Instagram or Twitter, whatever social media you use. Just another way to, to get the word out uh, that you are here worshiping at Salem Fields Community Church. And I guarantee that that small little gesture uh, can have a far-reaching impact uh, more than you know. Uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome to church tonight. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, if you can just fill out a connection card that you got within your program when you came in and just drop that in the bucket as it comes by. Uh, we just want to be able to uh, reach out to you, uh, say hello. And also one of the ways that we do that is we also have a table out in the lobby. Uh, it says, first time guests, stop here. We have a special gift for you. and We just want to be able to meet you and get to know you and answer any question that you might have about the church. Um, well, we, it's the end of the year, and so we know a, a lot of you like to, um, you know, get your last little bit of giving in just so it can be on this year's taxes. And so if you want to do a year-end uh, offering or a year-end gift to the church, uh, it's completely tax-deductible through December 31st. So if you want to get that in, we just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider that. Um, but again, uh, you guys have been so generous this year, and we're so thankful for each and every single uh, seed that you guys have sown into everything that uh, God has called Salem Fields to do. Uh, coming up, you guys are here tonight, but tomorrow we're going to have a completely different service. Uh, one service, no 9 or 11. It's going to all be at 1030 a.m. We're going to have our celebration service. So we're going to have baptisms, child dedications, uh, worship, uh, communion. It is going to be a blast. We love our celebration service around here. So we hope that you will come back tomorrow morning and join us for that. And then lastly, our first week is coming up. Uh, this is, again, this is a week that we set apart every single year. You know, uh, we all have New Year's resolutions. We have all things that we want to, to change or we want to improve on in the coming year. But I guarantee you there is nothing better than being able to put God first with the first week of your year. And that's what we do. We come together for those services uh, to really just uh, seek God, uh, ask what he wants to do in and through us this year. And it is a great uh, time. It's going to be the 5th through the 8th. Uh, our normal services, 6 p.m., 9 and 11, uh, but it's going to be a different message each and every single one of those services. So you come all three, you're going to get a different message each one, and then that Monday and that Tuesday, we're going to have service at 7, but you can come at 6.15 where we'll have a meal. Uh, we're so glad that you guys are here worshiping with us tonight, and uh, we're going to be taking our tithes and offerings during this next song. In a moment, Everything changed On a silent night Came a promised child In a stable so humble and poor Unto us was born The Savior of the world Love came down Love is alive, cause love is alive. 
Welcome to the final weekend of 2018. Um, we are, you know, going to, to kind of look back um, a long ways. We're finishing the stable, which probably seems weird, but some of us in here will look back with great fondness over the year. Some of us will look back with great sorrow, but either way, we should all be thankful that we're looking back at all, you know, because there are people that we've lost along the way and, and things who, who don't have the joy of being here to celebrate with us. And, and again, Christmas is, is difficult for everybody. Um, and it's also peaceful for some. You know, it just holds so many emotions. But I, I just really want to get past the commercial aspects of Christmas and even, even focusing on the story for the sake of the story. And I, and I think that's really the problem that, that most people struggle with is that they focus on the specifics of the story and like the cuteness of it or the, the little pieces of it without seeing the entire narrative of the story. And so my goal is to wrap up the stable by giving you the purpose of the stable and the entire narrative of the story in, in total, if I could. So um, I, I want to start with like the motto for my year coming up. And, and this is pretty much, if it's not going to shape the whole next year, it's going to shape the rest of my life, is God will settle for nothing less than your and my total transformation. He, he will tolerate nothing less than complete and utter transformation from what we were to who he has planned for us to be. And that, to me, is the entire narrative of Scripture from the beginning to the end. I mean, it does, you don't have to be a, a theologian or a, a, a literary critic to understand that the great stories of the Bible all have something similar uh, at, at its core. And that is that God has interceded into the lives of humans to transform them from death to life with him. And so the stable story is no different. But first, I want to give you a, a little Bible fact because I'm a geek and, and because I have the microphone, I can do that. The, it's right here, this little thing. So um, from the King James Bible, which I memorized when I was a kid. And so anytime someone walks up, it's like, hey, do you remember that scripture? It comes out and in Elizabethan English, which bums me out, so I'm trying to rewrite that in my head. But in the King James Bible, in Psalms 46, the 46th word from the beginning, not including the superscript where it introduces the psalm, but the 46th word from the beginning is the word shake. And the 46th word from the end, not counting the selah, which means reflect, the 46th word from the end is spear which is pretty cool. The King James Bible was completed in 1610, which is the year of William Shakespeare's 46th birthday. And many literary scholars believe that the translators of the King James Bible, who were acclaimed as fans of William Shakespeare, put in a little shout out to William Shakespeare in the translation. Isn't that amazing? That's wild when you think about it. I mean, the first Easter egg in the Bible is a shout out to William Shakespeare. And I think that's pretty cool, man. And what it does is it, it, it tells me that it, there is very purposeful in the translation, but it also tells me that that little shout out to William Shakespeare pales in comparison to the shout out to the Son of God all through Scripture, either First Testament or Second Testament. So let's catch up to the story so far. I'm going to catch you up and make it really quick and easy. Um, in fact, tonight should be very quick and easy. As long as you don't interrupt me or bother me, we'll be good to go. So I'll get you home. No problem. A, uh, first, a young girl selected by God to give birth to the Messiah. Uh, we don't have much information on why he chose Mary. I know there's faith traditions out there that have, have created all of this stuff about Mary, but the reality is the scripture doesn't offer any of that. She's, God simply chose Mary because she was from the correct bloodline for the coming king and Messiah. Um, and, of course, God choosing her counts for a whole lot. So that's the first place. God selects a, a young girl to give birth to the Messiah. Number two, a future husband has decided to, to, has to decide to stay or go. A visit from uh, an angel makes him want to stay. Uh, Joseph, who is the name of, of her betrothed, happens to also be of the correct bloodline. And he happens to be from Bethlehem, which is David, King David's city, which the Bible predicted that the Messiah would be born in. So again, we've got two people who don't have any particular, uh, I guess, uh, in the worldly sense, like there's no particular reason why they were extra special. They happen to be from the right bloodline, from the right places at the right time, and God chose them, which makes them special. Now, what's interesting about that, if you think about it, is that 
that, that should give each, each one of us a lot of hope that we don't have to be from a special place at a special kind or a special look or special anything for God to choose us. He just simply chooses us. And so then we decide whether we want to choose him. So um, number three, Caesar Augustus decides to have a census. Everyone must go back to their hereditary homes. Uh, Joseph is, again, from Bethlehem, David's city. So he has to go back with his family to Bethlehem to have this child, or they're going to have the child, whether he likes it or not, to, for this census, so to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would be from Bethlehem. So that happened. Mary and Joseph make the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Um, the family is living in Nazareth at the, Nazareth at the time. That's why Jesus was called a Nazarene, uh, which is interesting. Um, but Jesus, uh, they have to go back to the home in Bethlehem. It's a five-day trip, which is hard at that time anyway. But with a very pregnant woman, I suppose it would be quite hard. Um, I've not been very pregnant, but I've heard that it's not comfortable. I don't know. Anybody can attest to that? Let me know. I'm pretty sure you always do. I mean, I, I know there's a husband in here that can attest to it, right? Yeah, taking your wife on the trip when she's pregnant. The family arrives in Bethlehem but could not get into the family home. This is an interesting point of the story um, because it was pro they were probably late in getting there and it was relatively full. Unfortunately, um, the, some versions of the Bible, that, that the term is translated in, which we up-convert to our modern language of like Best Western or Holiday Inn or things like that. But the reality was uh, their family lived there. Joseph's family lived there, and he would have gone back to his family home to stay with them during the census, but everybody from their bloodline would have come back to the family home. So if you're the last person in the door, uh, it's going to be really sticky for you. And so most likely they, they were able to sleep in the home, but when it was time to give birth, they didn't have enough room. So most likely they went underneath the house to where the, the animals were in the cave, where the stable would have been and where the, the manger was. And so really historically, that's probably the way it happened. But either way, um, it was difficult for them because it was full and they had the hustle and bustle of having family around and they got a very pregnant woman who has no place to give birth other than outside. So that's probably tough. Next, Mary gives birth to baby Yeshua. This is another little lesson for you, uh, which is Hebrew for Joshua. Jesus's actual name is Joshua, all right, which is very interesting. It's Jesus for us. Because in the, the Greek, the word Joshua can't be transliterated exactly. So it's Jesus, right? So that's what they did. And that becomes Jesus. So if you ever really want to know what Jesus' name is, it's Joshua. So if you ever named your kid Joshua, he is now Jesus or Jesus if you're Spanish. So good for you. Angels appear to the shepherds nearby and they command them to go out and seek the newborn baby who is the Christ, which they've been longing for their entire lives. The shepherds, whether they were dirty, stinky, nasty, you know, limited education, whatever it was, the one thing, if, if they were of Jewish descent, that they would have all held in common is that they are looking for the Messiah. They're waiting for Savior to come. Every single air-breathing Jew is waiting for Messiah, waiting for the Savior to rescue them. And the shepherds would have been no different. So when the angels appear to them and say, guess what? Everything that you've been waiting for since you were a baby, that your parents and your parents and their parents and so on and so forth has come to pass right close to you. Get up and go check it out. Go see it. Again, the picture in this is really awesome because we've got these every people, these normal people who grind at work. They're the lowest on the totem pole in that society. They're ritually unclean all the time. It's a rough life, really. I mean, honestly, they're not invited anywhere. They can't do anything. They can't even worship a temple because of their station. They have to purify themselves for a week just to be able to go to temple. And so God chose those people to meet his son first. And that says a lot for us. In fact, it even prefigures the apostle Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, because, again, the Jews only kept the message for themselves. They believed that the message of salvation was only for them. Nobody else in the world. We are God's chosen people, they would say. You may celebrate with us, but you're not of us. And God said, no, you, everyone on earth can be of me. 
And so he chose the apostle Paul to take that message out. Well, Paul was ridiculed because he took the truth of the Jews out to the world of the Gentiles, which sort of looks back to God selecting these, these nasty shepherds to come announce the birth of his son. Again, what a great picture that is. Uh, next, the ox and lamb kept time with the drummer boy. Um, that, that didn't happen. I'm kidding. But it makes for a good song. And, and it's my favorite one that Rich does, so I really like it. Shout out to Rich. I dig that song so much. Anyway, that didn't happen. You guys are, you have to laugh sometime or I'm going to punch myself in the head. So I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> it was a long day of doing that already. Okay. The family kept the law of Moses and they took Jesus to Jerusalem. So the rest of the story is simply this. And it gets really convoluted because the two stories exist in Matthew and Luke. All right, so if you read Matthew and you read uh, Luke, you'll get these two stories, and they seem kind of the same, but they seem kind of different. The reality is that they're both telling the same story. They're just skipping around in the story to tell what was important to them and the parts that they wanted to communicate to the readers. It, it fouls us up unless we read them all as one big whole story and we start to understand. But here's the deal. The, the reality is Jesus was born, the shepherds came, announced it and told everybody that they possibly could. Eight days after Jesus was born, because he was a male Jew, his family had to, to walk from Bethlehem, 18 miles north to Jerusalem, to the temple. They had to purify themselves and have him circumcised. That was the law. So if Jesus was going to be a, a legal Jew, then he had to have that done within eight days of his birth. Now, interestingly, from there, they probably would have gone back to Nazareth, not back to Bethlehem. Not for some time. Because their stuff is in Nazareth, right? Now, historically, they moved back to Bethlehem, which is why um, when the wise people or the Magi or whatever you want to call them show up, Jesus isn't an infant. Unfortunately, the, the little figurine things that we put up are, are not accurate. Jesus was probably between one and two years old you know, roughly, and they in the living in a house at that time, and these men would have come to him, a group of them, a large group would have come and brought these gifts to Jesus um, and laid them at his feet, which probably helped the family immensely. But the reality of it is all that happened, and then that's when the, the Herod decided to kill all the male children because he was alerted to the presence of Jesus. So that's the story, all right? And it's, you've heard it so many different ways over your lifetime. I'm sorry for that. Um, some people don't take the time to dig in and research. We do, um, which I'm proud of. But the one thing that Pastor Gay said last week, which I think we need to really take a second on is, is and it's one that's, it shocks some people. I was, the way I grew up, the word crap didn't bother me at all. That was the least of my worries. So, um, but she said how we can still enjoy or have joy in the midst of the crap of the season. And when you think of a stable, that's the one thing you think of. You know, my, my uh, uncle had horses, and as a child, one of the jobs I had to do was muck the stalls, and that's basically me and a, a bucket and a shovel and crap, <laughs> lots of it. Apparently, horses are very prolific when they go to the bathroom. So, um, but the reality is, anytime you're around animals like that, that's a reality of being around animals. It's also a reality when we're around each other. It's our lives. Our lives are full of crap. And so this story, this beautiful story of salvation, of transformation begins in this most humble of circumstances and amidst all this crap and this nastiness. And so we, we, we kind of have to look at this and say, God, why would you give us this story? Because it's not just a story. You see, God is, is much more infinite than that. I believe what he is doing for us is giving us a picture of our lives and his desire to be in community with us and to save us through this story. And yes, it's the story of his son, and yes, it happened, but there's also a bigger picture that I want to draw your attention to, and that's really what we're going to do today. So the reality is that the family of Jesus had to slog through muck and mire and difficulties and nastiness and hardship just for Jesus to be born. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't surrounded in, in white and it didn't have cradles and cribs and midwives and all this great stuff. It didn't have drugs to make her feel better. It didn't have cigars for the friends. None of the stuff, it had nothing but muck and mire and difficulty. This is the birth of the King of Kings we're talking about. God allowed his son, our savior, to be born in the midst of this nastiness for a reason. 
And, and it becomes quite clear. Jesus, even after he's born, he can't even hang out at all. He's got to flee for his life even after that. I mean, can you imagine how difficult it is? Here's the, the man, if I could just get this to you. Sometimes I like to preach, but I just want to talk to you really. If, if we could just take a moment and understand, if you've been at Salem Fields for more than 10 minutes, then you've, you've gotten from us at least that God loves you so madly. God, God loves us, each one of us, so incredibly much that he was willing to sacrifice absolutely everything that we might be rejoined to him where we once were. I mean, he, we are the cheaters. We're the ones that ran away. We're the ones that, that defiled the relationship. And yet God consistently and constantly reaches out to each one of us every day because he just loves us beyond the scope of our imagination. That's the story of the stable. That's the point of the stable. I mean, if you want to boil it all down, yeah, Jesus had to be born so that Jesus could die. And that's, you got to wrap your head around that. But the point of the stable is simply this. God loves you that much. He loves you that much. I mean, the, the first thing that we look at here is this. Even a holy birth is not an easy one. In Matthew 2, 4 through 7, I think it should pop up here in a second. Um, yeah, next, there you go. Joseph went up from Galilee to town of Nazareth. This tells the whole story of them moving around and having to, to walk down and go through all this place. They didn't have enough room. They had to give birth outside. They had to do all these crazy things. You can find the story right there. It's a picture of more than just Jesus' birth. It's a picture of our own spiritual birth. This is the part, man, this is the part where a script kills me. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to tell you this, this, this straight up here. The church today and people today are so easily confused by what God means by salvation. And I really want to, I don't want to leave here tonight until we've got this somewhat straight in our minds and our hearts. You see, somewhere along the line, the church, and, 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 and I'm talking the great church as a whole throughout history, and, and its desire to reach out to people and to, and to woo people to it. And to, because the truth is here. We, we possess the truth. I mean, we, we have it. We've got it right here between these two, these two beautiful leather covers. And so we want people to experience it. And we say, how, how can we get them to come? And so unfortunately, sometimes the language that we use becomes a little bit uh, over the top in promising things to people that, that just aren't the case. And so... Again, if you've been around Salem Fields for more than 10 minutes, you realize we're transparent and real. We're going to tell you the truth, even if it makes us look bad sometimes. Usually that's me. The truth is this. God's salvation that he promised us, the, the stable, what it guarantees us, everything that happens from that point, doesn't unwind the decisions that our sinful lives have created or the circumstances that we're in. God, his desire is to transcend that. His desire for us is to go much, much further than just looking at our current circumstance. God said, if, if you lay down your life and give up that sinful life and you take the new life that my son brings you, if you accept this new life, if you flee from the sinful life of your past that we all know, if we're being honest, destroys us, destroys our families, destroys those people around us. God said, if you just flee from that and accept the truth and the beauty of the life of my perfect son, I will change your eternal destiny. Your eternal destiny. The eternity after this short little life, that is what I will say for you. And, and to top it off, I will also send you my Holy Spirit I will send you my Holy Spirit so that as you walk through this life, you now have power to reject the sin that, that used to destroy you and make better choices and build better families and build better communities and now make a difference in the world for me so that I can do the same for other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
God, when he saves us, our, our natural tendency is to look down and say, man, this is really dirty. This is really muddy. I don't like this circumstance that I created. God, save me. When we get saved, God doesn't pay our bills. He doesn't fix every problem. He doesn't heal every wound. He doesn't right every wrong in our lives. What he does is he takes his finger under your chin and lifts your chin up so you can look a little further. And that's what God's saying to us right now. That's the point of the stable. The story of the stable is not to focus on the grittiness of Jesus' birth. It's to look past it, to what it implied. What was the purpose of it? The salvation that God is offering us is not pretty. It's not. It's, it's not going to fix everything. It's not going to dig you out of the messes that you and I have made for ourselves. It's just not going to do that. Eventually it will because we begin to change. We begin to transform. Just like I said, God is not satisfied to leave us in our current state. I've used this analogy before, but I think it, it's very apropos here. It's, it's much to me like someone who's drowning in the ocean and the Coast Guard cutter pulls up and throws the life ring out. The person puts it around them and then they just leave them floating. I mean, can you imagine you're not drowning anymore, but you're also not alive. I mean, you're just floating in the middle of the ocean, you know, next to this ship and there's nothing you can do. No, no. God's desire for us is to throw the life ring, put it on you, pull you in, dry you off, put new clothes on you, give you new life, take you to land and walk the rest of your life with you. That's what God does. That is his salvation. Please don't get lost. And when, God, why won't you fix this? Why? God has fixed everything. Everything. Our eternity is fixed. Our tendency is to stare down at the mud around the manger. But God's desire is just to look up at the star and understand how infinite his love is. You see, Jesus had this conversation in John 3 with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is kind of a cool guy because he was a teacher of the law. He knew the first testament. I don't call it the old testament because the problem with that is everyone thinks that it's old. We don't use it anymore and we only use the new one. That's not true. He knew the first testament backwards and forwards. He knew everything there was to know about the coming Messiah. He knew all that he should know. But what he didn't understand was what does Jesus mean by you must be born again? You must be born again. This statement perplexed this, this you know, scholar of the law. What do you mean, Jesus? And Jesus goes on to explain to him, I have to think that as Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, he's reflecting back to his own birth. He's looking back saying, <laughs> like whispering in the ear saying, I understand. I went through it too. <laughs> This infinite, eternal God, the Son of God with no beginning and no ending, who came to earth through flesh. Can you imagine how counterintuitive that is? That's crazy when you think about it, but that's what God did to redeem each one of us. And so he understands when you and I, who are contemplating giving our lives to him, looking at our circumstances and our situation and saying, but this isn't pretty, this isn't nice, this isn't you know, glorious like I would hope. There's no angels announcing my coming. Where is all the good stuff? Where's my gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Where is it? And Jesus says, man, I understand. I didn't, that's not the way I would have chose to be born either. Even a holy birth is not always a good one. It's not always nice, but it's necessary. Wouldn't you agree? It was necessary that Jesus was born. And he chose these humble circumstances. Number two, birth is only the beginning. Things don't get any easier from here. In Luke, we see the story. Poor Jesus doesn't even have time to shake his rattle and, and chew his fingers or make everybody miserable by crying lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and going to the bathroom, ridiculous times. I don't know why they do that stuff. He didn't even get a chance to do all those things. He's running for his life. He, eight days, he's going up to Jerusalem. He's only eight days old, and he's riding either on a camel or a mule or something 
to get to Jerusalem so he can be circumcised, yea, for him, and then just travel all over the countryside, back and forth, back and forth, until as a little toddler, he has to now flee to a whole other country just because his, his life is in danger. It's not easy. He didn't have it easy, you know? And I think that's the, that's the real thing, but I want you to focus on this one piece, the movement of the story. This is what I find fascinating. His family, they believed everything that they were told. They met angels. I mean, they, a, a, a virgin had given birth. I mean, there was a plenty of miracles. They, they didn't have any lack of faith at this point. But they obediently followed everything that God told them to do, even when it cost them their comfort, their family, their movement, all the stuff they had to do. They obediently followed God. That's key. They didn't stay where they were. They couldn't. If they wanted to keep the law, they had to leave where they were. They had to move. Do you, you see where I'm going with this? When we're born in the spirit, when, when, when we are saved, when we accept Christ at our heart and change this mission of transformation that God puts us on, requires us to move. It requires us to leave the muck and the mire and the circumstances from which we're being saved from and begin to walk towards him. That's the key. So if you want to really understand the stable, the stable is about movement. It's not just about the stable. It's not just about the manger. The manger was the beginning point. From there, it was about movement and obedience. If we want to be who God has created us to be, if we want the power to reject the sin that has destroyed so many and has destroyed us, we've got to move away from it. Move away and move on towards God, just like Jesus and his family did. You see the point? Man, we gotta go. It's all about movement. Number three, through all adversity, the boy Jesus began to grow and prosper and move into his purpose. Every experience shaped him into the Messiah that he was born to be. The life after the stable, as we see, was not easy for Jesus. It's not an easy life. He's not rich. I don't know how much gold he got, but it wasn't enough to buy him, you know, I don't know, whatever, like a huge house and servants. He didn't have that. In fact, I mean, he's famous for saying that, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have no place to even lay my head. So the gold gave out back in Gurney, you know what I mean, a long time ago. That's a little quote, Joe. Put that in the bank, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, it's from... It's from uh, Christmas Vacation. It's my favorite movie. Um, now I get myself sidetracked. See, I, I pulled a buddy up here. Sorry, talking about something else. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, Jesus consistently moved into his purpose because he understood, even from an early age, that his birth was necessary that the circumstances of his birth, the circumstances of his life, and the circumstances of his impending death were necessary. Every single thing that Jesus did was movement into his purpose. That means he sculpted everything around him. Now, he was a normal person, a normal kid. He did normal things, but be sure that every time a decision had to be made, even as a young man, but especially growing forward, when a decision had to be made, he chose his purpose. He chose to move into his purpose, one experience after another. And not only that, but every time he chose to move into that experience, it affected everyone around him. You see, this is really the point of, of all of this. The stable, the manger, was not a solitary event. It wasn't just about the one person. It was about the community. All of them participated. All of them moved together. All of them reacted and experienced together. All of them constantly together. And the community grew and it grew and it grew. That's why you and I are even seated here tonight. Because the community grew and grew and grew. Every experience that Jesus enjoyed Every time he chose to move into his purpose was a step closer to becoming the Messiah exactly as it was ordained before his birth and so that you and I could enjoy being here today together. 
as a family in Christ if we are. Everything. It's, it's not just about you and me. Oftentimes, we, we look at the salvation experience, we, you know, we, we look at it and we say, I, I need to save myself. <laughs> I've got to be saved. I, I want to be saved. Awesome. What about everybody else? <laughs> what about our families? What about our friends? What about our coworkers? What about the rest of it? It's not just about you and me. It's about all of us. God placed us in community together. Jesus created community. That's how incredibly important it was to him. He created community so that we would move into our purpose. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but there are those times in my life when I look and I say, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, to be honest with you, when I look back, it's usually when I am not moving into God's purpose. Because God's been very clear with me. He's been pretty upfront with me. Choose me. I love to tell you that it's really, really specific. I want you to do exactly this at exactly this time. Exact. Man, that happens sometimes, but not all the time. But I do know the one overarching truth. Which God says, I want you to walk this earth in my name and carry my image and carry my truth and carry my hope and share it with anybody who is willing. That we all share. Every single one of us. That means that every aspect of our life should be moving into this purpose. And only you can know that. I mean... I don't care how you spend your money. I don't care what you do. God cares. You know, are we living our lives on purpose? We wonder why we go home so disillusioned at times. Why, why do I get so down around Christmas or down? We get down about all these things because we're not living on purpose. We're living for ourselves. You know what's an interesting scientific constant Basically, that at least they haven't proven otherwise yet, that a black hole is bottomless. You can throw as much matter into it, it's going to consume it all. So is our sin nature. So is the hole within us. Without Jesus, it's bottomless. That's why the TV will never be big enough. The car will never be fast enough. The jewelry will never shine bright enough. Whatever your penchant is, it'll never be good enough. Because it's a bottomless hole. You're just going to keep dumping coal into the fire. That's why Jesus says, my stable, my manger, it was about purpose. Because I knew what my purpose was, which brings us to point four. Guess what? Here's the really great news. A life well lived sometimes ends in a cross. No matter how great we think our lives are, sometimes they end in a cross. And Jesus never did anything wrong. He never wronged anybody. He was, I, I wrote down, he was kind, gentle, loving, peaceful, strong, courageous, patient, loyal, probably a great soccer player. He was an all-star. I mean, everything that, that his net life gain, it was a gain. His, his life was a net gain, period. Everybody was better for knowing Jesus across the board. When people need to be healed, they were healed. When they needed truth, they got it. When they needed love, when they needed respect, when they needed care, patience, whatever, they got it from Jesus. Always, never did he stumble. And yet, his life ended in a cross. You know what that, that means for us? That's the point of our lives too. It's the cross. Because without the cross, we don't meet our Lord. The cross is the key. And that's the hard part because it's not a fun message, man. You know, most people, they, oh, the, the, I just let's, let's, you know, hold hands and sing and worship and it just feels so good to be overwhelmed in the spirit and do it. That's true. It is overwhelming and it's awesome. But that doesn't take away from the ultimate truth, which is our lives are destined for a cross. Every single one of us. The question is, will the cross be the end or will it be the beginning? And that's a choice that you and I have to make. You see, the cross can be the beginning of life eternal, a transformed life, a life of hope, a life of peace, a life looking up towards joy, or 
It could be the end judgment. Pain, suffering, and just whatever other bad word. That, this is where we are. And so, I guess, you know, when we look at the story, I, I, don't, I don't see just a stable. You know, I, I don't see just a manger. I, just, I don't see just a cute little story that's fun to read, you know, in the morning of Christmas Day and say, happy birthday, Jesus, or go, Jesus, it's your birthday, whatever, you know, the new thing is, I don't care. I don't see any of that. I mean, what I see is my story. I see someone who was dead that God made alive in the worst of circumstances. Because when I came to Christ, I was at my bottom. I, I, I had made all the money in the world. I could do whatever I wanted to do, but everything was falling apart still. The more money I made, the more I owed. Everything just fell apart before me. And so I stumbled into this place and I knelt before the Lord and I gave him my heart in the midst of nothing. I had nothing. I was in the muck and the mire, surrounded by crap and animals and people that couldn't stand me. And that's the situation of my spiritual birth. But then I realized after being here for a couple of weeks, that God wasn't satisfied to just leave me in my muck and mire, even though I deserved it, I started to feel that pull. I started to feel him pulling me closer and pulling me closer. And all of a sudden, I began to have hope. I began to realize that my financial situation wasn't the end. You know, my marital situation wasn't the end. My, my, uh, the bad relationships in my family, everything that was going wrong, that's not the end. He slowly but surely, he brought me up on deck and he began to tilt my chin up and said, I want you to look a little further, son. I, it's so easy for you to look at this ocean and this nastiness, but I just want you to look a little further. Do you, do you see that land over there? Do you see, do you see that? That's your home now. That's where we're going but along the way, son, there's going to be circumstances and experiences and things that you need to do. And I don't want you to do it alone, Kelly. I want you to do it with other people. Now, they're going to be weird people. <laughs> they're going to be, you know, unusual people. They're going to eat donuts, people. They're going to do whatever. But I want you to do it with those people. I want you, as you walk and head that way, I want you to collect as many people as you can and share what happened to you. That's all I can do. I mean, all I can do is share with you my story. I could sit here and tell you every bad thing I've done and, and we can compare notes and do all that, but the reality of it is, that guy's dead. And as the son of God now, the small s, son of God, I continue to walk closer and closer and I just bring people with me who are willing to go. But I, I also see the cross, you see. I, I got to a place when... <laughs> The Lord and I were walking, and I said, Lord, I, I see where we're going. I, I want to go there. It looks beautiful, but what is this rough, ugly wooden cross that's in the way? You know, God said, he whispered to me, he said, son, everybody goes through there. And what I want you to leave on that cross are all the things that tried to destroy you, all the chains that tried to strangle you, all the things that destroyed your family, all the things that caused you to harm yourself, all those things, I want you to leave it nailed to that cross and we'll keep walking together. That's the story of the stable. I mean, I hope you enjoyed the story leading up to the stable because it's interesting. But if you stop there, you've really missed the point. Because if you want to understand the stable, it, it must be viewed through the lens of the resurrection. Because that was the point. <laughs> And that's the point for us that God's trying to give us and make. We all are going to go through the cross, but the, the question is, is it the end for you? Or is it just the beginning? And so I, I hope that you'll reflect on that. I really do. I, I just pray tonight that you would just take a moment and reflect on that. Where are you in the story? Because we're all somewhere. And some of us are still splashing with no hope. Some of us online, we're trying to parse the truth of the story. We're trying to figure all these things out. Some of us, you know, I know some of you online right now are trying to determine what's true and what's not true. Here's the truth. 
you and I both know that no matter what you do, it'll never satisfy. It never, ever does. Except this one thing. I can tell you from my experience, the only thing that's ever truly satisfied me was the love of God. Ever. It's the only thing that was big enough to block that hole up. God will settle for nothing less than our total transformation into who he created us to be. So you get to choose if you want to walk that out tonight or walk out without it. It's your choice. But the offer has been made. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the truth of your message. I thank you for the truth of your son. And I thank you for the stable. And I thank you for the manger. And I thank you for all the, the rest of the story that led up to that point. But mostly, I thank you for being obedient to the cross. And I thank you for saving me. I thank you, God, for reaching out to me and always reaching to me, God, so often did I see your hand in front of me and I would slap it away and keep harming myself and keep, keep hurting those around me, God. I'm so sorry, but thank you for never pulling your hand away from me. And so, God, I just ask you tonight that your Holy Spirit, as you um, knocked on the door of my heart that day, God, if there's anyone in here who is feeling that right now, Father, Lord, I'd love to give them a magic bullet prayer. I'd love to do all those things, but I really can't. The truth is, they cry out to you earnestly. You'll save them. You will save them. You said it. If we believe in our hearts, truly believe that the cross was not the end for Jesus, but the beginning of our lives, we will be saved. So I ask you now, God, Reach out to those who need you, those who are struggling in their walk, those who are still splashing around God, those who are still uh, harming themselves. God, give them grace. Give them strength and courage to reject the sin and leave it on the cross where it belongs, God. I pray for a new year of new life. I pray that you would fill this place with the hungry and the hopeful. And I thank you for what you're going to do, God. You're great. You're incredible. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us.
are open to you and our lives are open to you. Be our firm foundation as we surrender to you. God, to walk with you each and every day, every hour. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Come back tomorrow for celebration service. We hope you guys have a happy new year. See you next weekend.